we find something very interesting. You know, even though clearly the Rabbeinu Shal Oilam, God, wants to have Oilam Habo, A, he wants to have a community in Oilam Habo, B, right? And he bases that on a certain conditions. Namely, you have to do his will. And his will, obviously, is expressed in the Torah. The mitzvahs and so on, right? Okay. But do not think that he doesn't want you there. He wants everybody there. What does that mean? So what the Bershom has done is, uh, is that he has made in certain ways, certain uh, 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 procedures, how to deal with sin. Because everybody sins. You know, people, some people sin all the time. Everybody sins sometime. There's no righteous man in the world that doesn't sin sometime, right? And do only good. The Rebbeinu therefore created the concept of Yesuin or suffering. He created that. Why? Because suffering, and I once explained why, suffering is the antidote to the pollution or the contaminant of tumor in a person, right, uh, when he sins. That's the solution. It's the remedy, the medicine. Okay, and that's, so we have to thank God that he did that. You see, so when a person does suffer, what he's really being is, it's medicine. That's really what it is. Except it's a strange kind of medicine. You know, it doesn't look like medicine. You know, it's obviously not approved by the uh, FDA, right, and so on, because they themselves have to suffer, and they themselves are wondering what's going on, right? But the idea is that uh, suffering is really medicine to remove the uh, effects of sin. Now, so the first thing we have to thank God is that he actually put in a, a remedy for that, see? Now, where is that remedy applied, correct? So that remedy is applied here, while you're alive, you see? So that we have to be very thankful for. Now, for those people where that medicine isn't sufficient, you see, because it would be beyond, a person may be guilty, and therefore he has to suffer something beyond human endurance. So then God created Gehenna, which I had mentioned, right? Gehenna or purgatory, whatever you want to call it, right, is a place that if a person physically cannot endure the medicine called suffering, right, then what he does is he endures it in a spiritual world. And there, obviously, a soul can endure that. So that is the suffering of the soul. So you really have to thank God for Gehenna, right? Because that's what it is. It's akin to the same idea as saying, you know, if a person goes, first, what does he do? He goes to an internist, right? A GP guy, general practitioner, right? And all of a sudden, if the guy finds he needs surgery, thank God there's surgery. You know what I'm saying? And that surgeons hopefully can take care of the problem. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so on. So that's what Gehenna is. Gehenna is major surgery. You see, where the doctor cannot apply it in his office. Instead, you have to go to uh, the hospital where there is a surgical department. Okay. But, is that enough? No, not really. So, the third act of chesed, which is interesting, is called Gilgal, or reincarnation. You see? Well, if you can't do it here, and Gehenna isn't enough, guess what? You gotta come back. And when you come back, since you're coming back as a new person, right, with the same soul, but as a new neshama, a new person, I should say, right, uh, and then you experience sufferings all over again, or in different ways, and so on. So that's another possibility, you know, another situation in which a person can be also remedied, remove the, the uh, pollution, right, the contaminant, the tumor, right, the defilement that he has accumulated because of his sins. So you got three different ways that the Muslim helps a person or helps the Jewish people. You see, and each one is designed in its proper time and its proper role to alleviate you and therefore it enables you to get Oilam Habo. Because remember, you cannot get Oilam Habo as long as you have not atoned for your sins. When you go into Oilam Habo, you cannot have any claim through justice that you are tainted in any way. You see, that taint, Pollution must be removed. 
So what the Basham did is he developed, created those three devices that will help you get Olam Haba. But there's a fourth way. And this, we really begin to see the love that God has for people, you see, in order to help a person remove the pollution of sin. Who's that? Think about that. Can't do it here. Even Gehenim's not going to do it. And even reincarnation's not going to do it. What's left? And the answer is, your friend. You see. So what the Rav did is the following. He, he connected all the souls together. Therefore, what we think is separation is really not. At a certain level, which is beyond our comprehension to see, all of us are connected in terms of our neshama. You see, there's one neshama called Knesset Israel, which Adam Arishan, first man, had. And what the God did is he did three splits. He took Knesset Israel that was connected to the Shekhinah. You see, the Shekhinah has two sides to it, sort of. It's a metaphor, right? It's like a coin. One side is heads, and the other side is tails. You ever notice? Okay. Okay, now, so what Dubansham did, imagine taking a coin and cutting it right down the middle, right? So all of a sudden, the head side go one way and the tails and the other, but really they're part of the same coin. Knesset Israel is really one neshama. That's all there is. It's one soul, a gigantic neshama that is the flip side of the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence. And where do you see that? Because that's what it means by Chelek Lekaimimal, that the soul of man, especially the Jew, right, is part of God. You see, Chelek how that works is unknown. You know, there are ways to explain it, but I'm not going to go into that because that's not the issue. The main thing is that everybody's connected, literally. Now what God did is he split the neshama from one side, and the Shekhinah, the other side, you see. So the first split is the soul from God. Then what he did is he took the Neshama itself, which is one huge, let's say, block, and he split that into millions and millions of pieces. And he inserted in each piece a separate consciousness, you see. So every piece sees itself as separate from the other piece, okay? So therefore, you have... Millions of people, first they were separated, it was one, that's Adam Rishman, that became separated between Cain and Hevel, and then that became separated uh, to whatever, and then the 600,000 Shamas of Klai Israel, and they themselves give off sparks and sparks, like a, one huge bonfire that is given off sparks and sparks, but each spark, Nitzitz, has a consciousness, and it sees the other spark, you see? But it doesn't realize that really it's part of the same fire. You see? Because it has its own consciousness. So, believe it or not, we're all connected. At a level that we cannot even comprehend. We are what's called philosophically, ontologically one. It's one being. Why did God do that? Why not just create separate neshamas? And the answer is, because one neshama can now atone for Another neshama, you see, which is interesting. You see, not only that, one neshama, if it does a mitzvah, can actually embrace somebody else to get into Elam Haba based on this neshama. It's amazing. You see, since we're all connected, you see, that means one person's acts or deeds has an effect on the whole block. Interesting. And that's what the Bonshan did. That gives rise to a whole different department of how to get as many Jews into Olam Habo as God can. You see, so besides those three, you got a whole separate, a new operation going on here where one Shoma, which I will speak about, can be servile Yisurim, can suffer, right? And that will atone for, depending on how big the tzaddik is and what the suffering is, that can atone for the atonement of other people or the whole generation. And if the tzaddik is big enough, it can atone for 
in whatever degree for all Jews that ever lived. I mean, this is a whopper of a neshama. We can't even begin to imagine what that means and so on, you know. But it all depends on who the tzaddik is, what his level of kedusha is, how big his neshama is, and there are different types of souls and so on. Is he a spark? Is he, however, uh, a more of a piece from the fire and so on, you know. But different tzaddikim take on the atonement for different amounts of Jews. Interesting. So because of that, it's possible that there's far more people in Oilam Haba than you can imagine. You see? Because even if you can't, you can't get rid of it yourself, either through this world, Gehenim, Purgatory, or Gilgal, that tzaddik will get rid of it for you. Now, don't think, wait a minute, if that's the case, right? You know, let me go and sin. You know, it's, it's, it's his burden, not mine. No, no, don't be so quick to do that. You see, because you can't fool God. You know, don't play around with God. You, know, you can't do that, you know, because he knows exactly what you're going to do, right? So obviously there's all kinds of what's called rules and regulations. If you're going to do that kind of stunt, then God is going to say, okay, he's not going to atone for you. You got to do it on your own. You can't play around with God. Anyway, but the principle remains valid <clears throat> that it is possible for different souls to uh, atone, to expiate your sins. And because of that, that allows so many more Jews to get into the future world, into Oilam Habo. Very important principle. Now, when a tzaddik suffers, the, that is called Yesurin Shal Ahava, suffering of love. Why? Because generally it means that the tzaddik is not suffering for himself, or very little. Most 95% of the suffering is for others. So the only way God will give it to him is if he accepts it. That's why it's called, he has to accept it from love. He has to want to say it's okay, you know. Which means, not that God tells you, you know, he doesn't walk, it's in your telegram and say, by the way, I'm going to slam you guys for, you know, and so on. No, he doesn't. But a tzaddik has to be talking. And say, whatever God does to me, I accept, either for my own sins, for others, whatever it is. You know, in fact, we find in the Gemara, uh, the Gemara Brochus, where I think it's Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Elazar was suffering, right? And Rabbi Yochanan, he was suffering, you know? So, uh... Rabbi Yochanan said to him, I see you suffering a lot, you know, do you want this? What do you want this? He had a choice. He's suffering because he sinned, but he wasn't. He was suffering, this was the Yisurin Shal Avo, sufferings from love, that he was suffering for Jews, who knows how many. So he said, I don't want them or their reward. And that's what you get, which I will explain. So Rabbi Yochanan said, okay. You don't want them, which means I don't want to accept them for others. So Rabbi Yochanan got up and he cured them right then and there. You know, I mean, they were incredible people, what they can do and so on, you know. So what does that mean, not them and their reward? You know, if it was really for punishment, for expiation of sins, what do you mean you don't accept them? Or there certainly is no reward for it. If anything, there's just purification. But obviously that's what it was, you see. That's called the Surin Shalava. Now, what's the deal? The deal is that if somebody accepts that to atone for others, and he really has to accept it willingly, right? Then it enormously raises, raises his stature in Oilam Habo. Unbelievable. Because he is making it possible for other people to get Oilam Habo. In fact, if you really think about it, the greatest thing you could do for a Jew is to get them in Oilam Habo. You see. Because what, what, what greater thing, because Oilam Habo, the future world, is eternal. It's infinite bliss eternally. And if you try to get another Jew into Oilam Habo, right, that's an incredible merit that you have. You see. So this Sadiq, by accepting that type of uh, uh, suffering, or whatever, for other people, they are enabling other people to get into Oilam Habo. Therefore, they become incredibly elevated <coughs> themselves. In fact, Rabbi Shachayim Ratzato says that that, that deed that they do is so great that they will ultimately become the leaders in Ilam Habo. 
they will be the top guys in the future world because they have enabled so many other people to get into Ilm Habo. Now, there's a term for this. It's called the Soivle Chiloim. Soivle means those who bear. Chilo means the, the sicknesses of Klai Yisrael. The Soivle Chiloim. Uh, that's what they're called. But remember, it's basically Yisurin Shal Avo. Okay? The Soivle Chiloim, these people, so not only can they expiate other Jews, you see, but they can also do certain mitzvahs that other people can get credit for partially. You see, that's one of the concepts where, I believe it's one of the concepts where there's a Rebbe, an Admor, right? And there's a Hasid, you know, and everybody goes to their Tish. You know what I'm saying? What are you doing by their Tish? You know what I'm saying? What does that mean? Okay, so at one level you could say, because they're looking at the Hasidic Rebbe, Right? Whatever they call it today, the grand, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Admo and so on, you know, uh, and so on. And therefore, hopefully they will look how a Jew conducts himself. And they will be enthused, right? And then maybe they'll become more spiritual, religious, and so on, you know? But part of it is also that when that Admo sits and has a tish, and you're looking at that, right? You're part of his assemblage. Right? And that assemblage is basically devoted to God. So even though he's the Admor, but because you're associated with him in that assemblage or that, uh, you know, action so on, then part of his reward you get. So you can actually get reward, you see, greater than what you would have deserved because you are associated with a tremendous tzaddik. See the way it works? You see? So there are tzaddikim that do deeds that in a certain sense can actually bestow tremendous amount of reward to Jews even though they never did anything. You see? So that's an, a, a, a second concept is not only are there are great tzaddikim, great neshama souls that can bear the iniquity of other people, you see, and the other people benefit from that, but even if they do a mitzvah, it's the same idea. You see, now that Jewish concept is a Kabbalistic concept, the Sevli Chaloim. Unfortunately and tragically, there is a major religion that has adopted that, yeah. obviously. And of course we know what that is, that's Christianity, you see. And they say, of course, that that individual, right, he died for the sins of mankind, etc., and so on and so forth, you know, uh, which is, uh, besides being absolute nonsense, and so on, you know. But um, that concept of Soivli Chayloim, you see, is a Jewish concept. It has nothing to do with Christianity, they, they, you know, because the original Christians were Jewish. But they have taken that, too, and they have employed it in the service of the person that they worship, and so on. Uh, but you should know that it's a Jewish concept. It has nothing to do with Christianity, and so on. And you find in the Tanakh, or Yecheskel, you find many of the people suffered because of Klai Yisrael, or the Jewish people, and so on. But anyway, but this is to ensure that many more people will get into Olam Habo. Now, who are the greatest of the Sovri Choloim? Who are the greatest ones? The greatest ones are three. Moshe Rabbeinu, and that is why he's buried outside of Eretz Yisrael. He is among the greatest of the Sovli Cholayim, and we don't realize that. But his being buried outside the land of Israel means that he is subject to tremendous suffering. Because really a tzaddik like that should be buried in Israel. So his being buried outside Israel is the indicator or the metaphor, you know, the barometer, that he is suffering. Okay? What is the suffering that Moshe Rabbeinu has? Right? And that is what's called mirt or the diminishment of God's presence. In other words, when a tzaddik like that, Moshe Rabbeinu is one of the greatest of all tzaddik of Maya, when he dies, he should be getting an incredible amount of what's called vacas or closeness to God, far infinitely greater than he got when he was alive. But that is denied him. And because of that denial, which he should really get, right, he suffers. And his suffers, suffering covers for the sins of the Jewish people to a certain extent. 
And he accepts that willingly. Now, besides him, the other two people are the greatest of the sufferers is the Mashiach bin David and the Mashiach bin Yosef. Those are the two other people. And then you have many, many tzaddikim throughout the generations that also, you know. Now, what is the suffering of bin David and Mashiach bin Yosef? The suffering of Mashiach bin David, again, is miyat or. Miyat or means the diminishment of the closeness to God, or what's more accurate, the hasaga of God. You see, means the comprehension, the apprehension of who God is. And that is infinite pleasure as a result of that. Okay? So that's the suffering of the Mashiach ben David. But Mashiach ben Yosef, in many ways, is worse. Let me tell you the Medrash. It's in Yalka Chimoni. I think it's 499. Here's what it says. It says, God approaches Mashiach ben Yosef. The Medrash calls him Mashiach ben Ephraim. The Messiah, the son of Ephraim, who was the Mashiach ben Yosef. And you know there are two Mashiachim. Anyway, he approaches the Mashiach ben Yosef and he says to him, you should know that in the end of time, your children will deserve annihilation. That's what God says to Mashiach. They will deserve or they will be guilty of uh, uh, such a grievous sins, annihilation. This is God's judgment and so on, you know, which is astounding. That doesn't mean all the Jews no it certainly means a number of Jews there's a certain population of Jews that through the generations they have sinned so grievously they will be annihilated destroyed you see and that's after their lifetime right Gehenim right and the Gogulim we still didn't make it you see so with what God got left somebody else there's got to be somebody that's going to pay back justice, right? So he tells that to Mashiach ben Yosef, you know. So what does Mashiach ben Yosef said that this is Mamish the Medrash, you know. So Mashiach ben Yosef says, um, uh, no, 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 it can't be that way, is what Mashiach says, you know. And what he says is this, he says, you know, then I will accept suffering on myself, right? This is in line with the Sevli the bearers of suffering, I will accept on myself the suffering of all the Jews who live in my time, right? Who live in the generations before me. And I will accept the suffering of everyone that ever lived. Goes back all the way to Avram Avino. Right? That's what he says. It's unbelievable. He is suffering everything for all mankind. You see? So. It's like the Roshim says to him, you know, are you sure? Okay, sign on the dotted line. I mean, he doesn't say that in the message, but he signed on the dotted line, right? Okay, so all of a sudden, it says in the Medrash that the Roshim takes an iron yoke that they put on top of cattle. I mean, it's a metaphor, you know, and he puts it on the neck of the Mashiach ben Yosef. That's the indication, that's what he's going to bear, right? And then the Medrash says that all of a sudden the, the Mashiach ben Yosef bends like that, right? Because the yoke is unbelievably heavy. Unbelievable, right? So the Mashiach ben Yosef starts to scream. He says, I can't bear this. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, so to speak. You know, so the Bansham says, ah, but wait a minute. But you promised, you know. And it's in order to help you out, the Bansham says, I will bear also some of their suffering. I will go together with you and bear some of their suffering in, in exile. Which means that the divine presence itself, which you have to understand what that means, in some way will expiate the Jews. Whatever that means. Okay? And, and so on. So then the Mashiach but Yosef says, okay, that it is appropriate for the servant to be like his master. And if the master will also bear some of the diminishment, and that's the shrinta bigalusa, that the divine presence is in Golis, then I will also, I will bear it. It's an incredible thing. That means Mashiach ben Yosef is bearing the suffering to atone for the sins of untold Jews that go back all the way to the beginning of creation. 
It's astounding. And if he didn't bear that, why was God so insistent? And why is God telling him this? Because you're the only guy that can do it. Your neshama is as, it's so great that if it suffers, it can atone for millions and millions of Jews all the way back. That's why God is saying this to him. That's why when Sheikh Ben Yosef said, I can't bear this, what was God going to do? You know, he needs this. You know, so therefore, this is what's happening to Mashiach Ben Yosef. So we have no idea, really, of what that means. Now, the Medish continues into ideas which are incredible. And here's what the Medish says, that all the great people of Kleinsville, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe Rabbeinu, everybody who's a who's who in Judaism, and we're talking about people we can have no imagination, they all come over to the Mashiach Ben Yosef. And they say, you are greater than us. Why? Because you have borne the sufferings of the Jewish people, even though you don't deserve it, you know, with an untold suffering. And we have never done that. They credit him with among the greatest acts in creation. Because it is through the Mashiach Ben Yosef specifically that Klai Yisrael survives. And that probably... Like he said, I will bear the suffering of every Jew that ever lived. Wow! That's millions and millions of Jews. So when you think about that, according to that medrash, every Jew will get into Ilam Habo. Every Jew. Because of what the Mashiach Ben Yosef did. And that's among the concepts or the secret of the Mashiach Ben Yosef, why he, in many ways, he's such a tragic figure in Klai Yisrael because he bears an enormous amount. You know, you find the same thing by Mashiach ben Dovid, actually, where somebody, it's funny, somebody was speaking to uh, Elio Novi. I'm not sure, I think it's Rabbi Shul Navy. I don't recall, you know? And um, uh, so he asked Elio Novi because they were so great that Elio Novi used to visit them. You know, it's like a guest. You know, I really wonder if they gave him coffee, whatever. But anyway, he used to visit them, you know? And he said to Elio Elio when is the Mashiach coming? So Eliyahu said, well, you know, he's over there, why don't you ask him? He said, yeah. So he went over, and it says that he was at the gates of Rome. Because the Mashiach is born or lives in the nation that he overthrows, ultimately. So he went over to him. So he, he looked at him, and he said that, uh, so he was filled with band-aids, or wounds. He filled with wounds that the Mashiach bin Dovid had, you know? So, and he saw that he was just trying to remove one Band-Aid from another and changing his Band-Aids. So he asked him, what is this? So basically what it is, is that these are the sins of Kleinsville. And the, with the way it's expressed, is wounds on the Mashiach, on the body of the Mashiach, you see. Because really what the Mashiach, both Mashiachim, is called and he is a substitute for our sins. Very important idea. In fact, in Shayo Nunbeis, toward the end, it says Hine Yaskel Avdi, or before that actually, it says uh, that Ishmar Ehu, that the the face of this individual is Hashchosa, is corruption. When you see the Mashiach, whoever he is, whoever the real ba- person is, you know, the one who will be the Mashiach, so on, you, you would never think he's Mashiach. Because he's the last guy you would think is Mashiach. Why? Because he is a mirror image of the sins of the Jewish people. Because he suffers for the sins of the Jews. So therefore, whatever the sins of the Jews are, the hashchosa, the corruption, you know, whatever the sins are, the Mashiach, he has that as a mirror on his goof, on his body. So therefore, he looks like a corrupted individual or certainly somebody that you would never think. I'm talking about the Mashiach who really is the Mashiach who ultimately comes, you see? And then it says, and everybody wonders on this guy. This guy, how could he be a Mashiach? You see, you know? But the truth is, it says that he is the substitute, you know? He is sort of like, uh, the, the sacrifice for our sins. He mirrors the sins of the Jews in however that works and so on. 
In fact, that's how you understand Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu stuttered. Why? You know, there's a whole medrash that, you know, when he was sitting on the lap of Paroi, if you're in the medrash, you know, all of a sudden he grabbed the crown. He was a little kid. He must have been, I don't know, one year old, two years old, right? He grabbed the, the crown of the Pharaoh, right, and he pulled it off. So everybody said, uh-oh, you know, that means he's ultimately going to get you. you know, he, he's the redeemer of the Jews that we've been prophesying, you know, the astrologers, you know, and so on. So they said, the way, so their, their advisors said, kill the guy, you know, now. Then the other says, hey, come on, he's only an infant, give him a break. You know what I'm saying? So what they said, okay, we're going to give him a test. You know, we're going to give him a test. What's a test? Put gold on one side and fire on the other, right? Let's see which one he grabs, you know? So he's about to grab the gold because, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, even at that age, knew what gold is, right? He grabbed the gold. So all of a sudden the Malach came, I think it was Gabriel, moved his hand to the fire and he touched the coal, put it to his mouth and burnt his mouth. And from then on he became a... Kvad Pek, Kvad Loshan, and so on. So that's the Medrash and so on. But the question is, why would the Bansham do that? And the answer is because the reason why the Jews were in Egypt because of Lashon Hara comes out that the mouth of the Jew, right, was pogum, was defective, right? Because they spoke Lashon Hara. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the Mashiach, he also has to be injured or defected in his mouth. See? That's how it works, you see. So the Mashiach really bears the iniquity of the Jewish people. And therefore, in many ways, he's sick because of that, you see. So the greatest of the Sovli Chiloim really is the Mashiach ben Yosef. But it's astounding that he can atone all the way back. So in the end of time, really, the Mashiach ben Yosef, because of his suffering, allows the Jewish people, all of them, to get Oinam Habo. That's really what saves everybody, you see. So this really is a very important consideration that what we see what God did and the fourth vehicle or method that God uses to make sure that people that are far more than would have gotten by their own merit, they also get oilam Habo. But you have to remember that even if somebody atones for you or you have merit because of somebody else, don't think it's like the other guy. They're the real guys, and you will be an Oilam Habo, but of course at an inferior level, for obvious reasons. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like what's called, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like protexia. You know, you, you, you have connections, you know. So there's a lot of Jews that get into Oilam Habo because they got connections. Oh, the connections, the tzaddikim that suffered for them and are giving them, you know, uh, what do you call it, merit and so on. It's funny. That even to get into the future world, you have to have connections, <laughs> you know. I imagine connections is work, works everywhere, you know. It's where it is. Even to get into Eidam Habo, you need connections. But anyway, then there's another way. That even if a person, which is interesting, even if a person is not worthy to live, right? I'm not talking about Eidam Habo, but let's say a person, he's not worthy to live after whatever time, Right? One of the ways to evade that, de de that decree or that judgment is to do for others. If other Jews become dependent on you for spirituality, then you will live longer so others can benefit. It's another concept where others, where they can actually survive, enable you to survive, you know? So it's interesting, I, I, I interpret that way. There's the, the Pnei Yeshua, Pnei Yeshua, uh, uh, one of the great, I think it was a Godla during his time. Phenomenal person. Phenomenal. Pnei Yeshua. He's the greatest man in his generation. I'll just tell you how, what he was. You know, Pnei Yeshua used to learn in a place, right? And then he died. So there was once a blind man learning in the shul where the Pnei Yeshua used to learn. You know what I'm saying? He was blind, you know? So however he used to do it, maybe a chavruso, maybe he, what he remembered by heart, whatever. You see? So he once wanted to get a safer. So he was feeling around the bookcase, however he would know, you know. And he really reached very high, you know. And all of a sudden his hands touched glasses. Very eyeglasses, you know. So he took them down. It's like he didn't know what were eyeglasses up there. So he put them on. And all of a sudden he swore. He was no longer blind. And then if he took them off, he was blind. 
So he goes over, so he goes over to another guy and says, what is this? I mean, we're not talking here about optics. Forget it, don't even think about contacting his ophthalmologist or his optician, you know? So he asks another guy, what is this? He says, wait a minute, ah, those are the glasses of the Pnei Shua that he used to learn with. Do you believe this? That the sanctity of this man was so great that his eyeglasses would enable you to see. You see? Because it's measure for measure. Because Pnei Shua, by looking at the, uh, the Torah, was able to see. So therefore, that was embedded. The Kedusha, the holiness of the Pnei Shua was embedded in his eyeglasses. So we're, we're dealing with a very prestigious individual. He was a God Lador, phenomenal person. He's buried in Frankfurt. Just as an aside, many people have said that if you go to his, uh, his uh, kever, you can have a Yeshua. You know, Pnei Yeshua, you actually, there are people have gone there that have experienced miracles. He's that type of person. But anyway, uh, when he was very young, so how did he come to write the Sefer Pnei Yeshua on the, on the Gemara, on Shas? You know, because once there was a fire that started in his house or whatever, and it surrounded the house, and he was in it, and he was trapped, and he knew it was, forget it, it's curtains as they say, he couldn't get out, you know. This before he wrote the Sefer, it was obviously a very great, you know, great man, so, you know, so he said, if he gets out, however, by miracle, you know, he's going to write down his chidushim, his novelay, his, his, uh, his Torah, he's going to write it, and he did, Pnei Yeshua. And then he says, miraculously, the fire parted. It's incredible. And he walked out. So the question is, what does that mean? What's the mechanics here? You know, Because by saying that I'm going to write a safer, therefore everybody else is going to benefit. So even though maybe the Zadin, and we don't know why, was that he should perish, we don't know why, right? But the fact that he now promised that he would write something where others would benefit, and the Pnei Yeshua is a Sefer that is in every yeshiva in the world, you see? And who knows, almost every yeshiva, yeshiva guy will learn the Pnei Yeshua, whatever, at once in a while, whatever. He's like the foundational forum that everybody learns, you know? So, you know, maybe that's why. Maybe he was doomed to perish, that was the dim. But because he put himself in the category that he's going to benefit the Jewish people, miracle happened and he was saved. So that's one of the ways, you know, on Yom Kippur, you know, or, or Rosh Hashanah, you know, how am I going to get out of this and survive and all that? But in some way, if you say, well, I'm going to do something where others will benefit, that may save you. You see? It's an interesting, it's an interesting type of segula, you see, uh, that he does and so on, you know? In any case, so we see what the, that the, there's a whole different way that a person can survive and be an oilam habo. But yeah, but what's interesting, you have to understand, the punishment is either physical to these people, it could be psychological because that's also suffering. But the key idea is that these types of neshamas, their suffering in many ways is called miyator, where they cannot fulfill their talents and abilities. You see, either they can't learn well, or it's very hard, or they just cannot access spirituality. You see, me at all. In fact, what's interesting is if you want to punish a tzaddik for whatever reason, even for others, the greatest punishment that a tzaddik can have is to diminish his access to God or to Torah. It's called me at all. In fact, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, you know, there are many people that said that the Mashiach is going to come, but there are many of the Amaroim that said, let him come, but I don't want to see him. What do you mean, let him come and I don't want to see him? It means that I let him come, but I, don't want, I do not want to live in that generation before the Mashiach comes, which is astounding. Why would anybody do that? Because they knew that in the generation before the Mashiach comes, there will be an unbelievable amount of hester, concealment of God. And one of the ways God conceals himself is ignorance of the Torah. Nobody knows how to learn, or very few people are learning. It's called me at all. Or the tumor will be so great 
that you you know you it's like it's like a little candle in this uh, you know it's like you're in a, a gigantic room and it's pitch black and there's somebody at the other end with a little candle you see and even if that works in a certain way but a tzaddik these people amaroim whatever tzaddikim cannot tolerate darkness they can tolerate persecution and even physical afflictions but they cannot tolerate a barrier between them and God that's called meat or and today we see you see if you look at the affliction of this generation it's not physical in that sense you know what I'm saying or psychological or financial the affliction of today's generation and tzaddikim feel that is that it is incredibly difficult to rise above the tumor of this generation we don't even realize how much tumor is in this generation you know it's like a guy is in a, in a mud pit and he's there for years you know and he's never seen anything else does he even know he's in a mud pit no I think this is normal you know we don't realize the tumor we're in you see we would realize it if we were in a generation that you had people like Rabbi Akiva you know what I'm saying? The Nevi'im. We, then we would realize, we'd be shocked into the realization of how far we are, you see. But that's the problem today. That the real Einish of today is called Mi'at'or. And therefore Rabbi Yechanan is among the people in that Gemara that said, listen, it's one thing, persecution, physical problems or other problems or whatever. But the worst thing is for them is to be distanced from God. And not having access to spirituality, not having access to Torah, you see, and uh, a Chochmah, and Yediyasa Torah, and so on. And, 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 and even when you do have access, it's unbelievable struggle. To them, that is the greatest of the Unshim. And they said, let him come, of course, but don't put me there. Which is astounding when you think about that. Because it's not worth for them to be in that uh, in, in that generation and that really is their suffering you see and therefore this is the suffering for the greatest neshamas of Moshe Rabbeinu Shechem and, and, and certain tzaddikim uh, and, and so on you know this concept of me at all is suffering that really visits the greatest of the tzaddikim you see the concept that they cannot actualize their talents and their abilities you see so, I have gone through a very important idea. The concept that there's a fourth way to get Olam Haba. You see? So besides your suffering in your life, right? The second is Gehenna. The third is Gilgal. And the fourth, like I say, is others need to pitch in, as they say, to get you into Olam Haba. And because of all these four ways, which you should know is a tremendous chesed of God, kindness of God that he has allowed this and I, I, I think that the, one of the greatest kindnesses is the last it's called the Sevli Chaloim those people that bear the iniquity of the Jewish people because there it's not even you that's suffering it's somebody else you know and it's true of course that you're not going to get the same reward as he right but listen you know because of that the majority of Jewish people can now get into you know, not majority all everybody get into the Olam Haba and so on, you know. So it's a tremendous act of chesed, you know. So I believe today, uh, in our time and era and so on, that there is Sovli Chiloim, although we don't know who they are, right? There are people who suffer for the sins of the Jews, right? Even today, although we have no idea who they are. Uh, it's not clear, maybe it's the Lamed Vav Tzaddikim, the 36 uh, incredibly pious people, righteous people, that you need in order for the Jews to move on, to bring the tikkun and so on, you know. But these are this, like I say, uh, is an incredible act of chesed that God does. So what you really see of all this, that God wants you to be in Oinam Abba. It's not like he's setting you up and he doesn't care if you pass or fail. You know what I'm saying? We're not dealing with that type of situation. The Rabbi not only wants you to pass, but he wants you to pass with flying colors, you see. <clears throat> and I will tell you, you know, just to end with this, that on the chariot, the Merkova, 
the divine chariot, right? There are, it's, it's a metaphor, what Yechezkel saw in the Maisim Merkava, right? So he's got this chariot, and by the way, that chariot seen in the second parak of Yechezkel is the whole Kabbalistic framework. Anyway, so he sees a chariot that has four wheels, but they have four different symbols, you know? There's a face of a man, there's a lion, you know what I'm saying? And there's an eagle and there's an ox. The four wheels, but they have, they, they have obviously, they look like figures and so on. Then there's a chariot, then there's the face of a man in the chariot. And this Kabbalistically means, because what, what's the job of a Jew, right? The job of the Jew is to bring God back into the creation, right? To remove the concealment of God, the Hester, correct? Remember I said that? That's the job of a Jew. So what symbol will refer to that a vehicle, right? And who's in the vehicle? The face of a man, right? That's God in terms of Odom Kadma, it means the highest sphere of. Let us, man, let us make man in our image. So when you look at the image of God, Kabbalistically, it's the face of a man. Anyway, so he's in the chariot, right? And you have the chariot. So the chariot is a vehicle that brings the man who is God into creation. But who does it? So the wheels, right? Who are the wheels? So you have four, right? So the lion is Mashiach ben David. The lion, right? Yehuda, the Ari. The shore, the ox is Yosef, because the ox is a symbol of Joseph, right? Then you have Odom, who is what? Who's the Jew? That's Yaakov Avinu, right? And then you have the eagle. Who's that? Who is the eagle represent? We already have the Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, right? Whoever they are, right? And then you have the man, which are the Jews, that are part of the vehicle, right? Who's the eagle? Interesting. The eagle is God himself. He's one of the wheels. Why? Because remember it says in Hazinu, like yesh, kineshek, like, like an eagle that bears his young, right? That eagle, who's the eagle referring to? That's God, right? And the eagle is the highest flying bird, so it never has to worry about anything below it. So if it puts its young on its back, nothing can attack it, because nothing flies higher than the eagle. So the eagle is the metaphor for God. What do you mean? God is, the ve is one of the wheels that brings himself into creation? Yes. How? Because of all of these what's called contingencies. That he will supply many things beyond justice to get you in. You see? So suffering is one. Removes the contamination, the pollution. Then there is what? Then there's Gehenim. Right? Doesn't have to do that. Hey, you pass the test, fine. You fail the test, too bad. God doesn't have to get you in. You know, he just has to give you the test. Yeah, yeah, mishnish, as they say, right? It doesn't have to pay, right? So what the Bonshim says is, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do, you know. I'll give you the test, but don't worry. I'm going to help you cheat. Or I'm going to bend over backwards. You know, you take the test, you fail. Guess what? I'm going to give you a makeup test. Guess what? If you fail the makeup test, I'm going to give you another makeup test. You know, it's like an endless series of makeup tests. And finally, in the end, after, you know, 2,000 makeup tests, God is going to say to you, will you stop it already and pass? You know, it's like he's exasperated. So the exasperation of God manifests itself as what? As a divine assistance of we can even imagine. So one of them is the suffering itself in a lifetime. The second thing is called Ganem, you see? Just doesn't demand Ganem, right? Just it means you're out, right? Ganem. The third thing is Gilgal. Justice doesn't demand reincarnation, right? And the fourth thing is incredible, you know? Ruvain is taking over my, my Kapora, my expiation. That's incredible. Look how far God has to extend himself to get you into Ilam Haba. You see, therefore, if that's the case, then God himself is one of the wheels. Astounding that he's one of the wheels of the Merkava, of the divine chariot. And the divine chariot, of course, is the whole concept that we, we the divine chariot, we are the chariot, really, because we're the vehicle that brings the presence of God, the Shekinah, back into the world, you see. And that's the imagery of what we see in Yecheskel. So when you see all this, what God does, 
that is absolutely incredible, you know. So never think that the Bonsham says, okay, I give the test, you pass, good, you fail, too bad, you know. The Bonsham is behind you, rooting for you every nanosecond of your existence. We don't see that, you see, you know. But, 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 but the one who cares about you and, and Kleinsville is the Varsham. He wants everybody, you see. And it's not only Jews, it's, it's, not, it's also non-Jews. Because the Varsham has an incredible feeling for non-Jews, as we see in Bashalach, when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the Egyptians were drowning, right? And the Malachim started singing Shira, song, praise. Because these guys were terrible. I mean, what they did to the Jews for 200 years was beyond belief. Kill all the babies. Whoever, that's, that, you're talking about, that's Nazis. How do you kill kids? You know, because you don't want some redeemer to come because you're going to lose these guys as workers or slave labor. So you're going to kill people? I mean, Egypt is the lowest of the low, you, you see, you know. <clears throat> but, so, uh, and, uh, so, and so the angels are singing. It's phenomenal. You know, guess what? If we were there at that time, we'd all be singing, right? And the Bansham said, what are you singing? The tragedy is that they're also my Seyyar die. You see, these are the works of the handiwork of God. You know, it's I, I do it because that's what justice demands. But it's tragic. We, you can't be Masamech on that. You can't sing with joy because evil people are dying. You see, and, and, and the Bersham, of course, it's an emotion that, you know, the Bersham is expressing on his level, Kaviyochel and so on, you know. But that's what it means, that the Bersham wants really everybody in Oilam Habo, really. Okay, so the ones who are going to do the work of Oilam Habo to bring God back, the chariot, are the Jews. But really, when you think about that, my Siyodai, he really wants everybody. You see, and the same uh, caring, not the same I should say, but God also has a tremendous amount of caring, whether it be Jewish or non-Jewish, doesn't make a difference. You see, of course there's a difference in reward, because the Jews did it, and the non-Jews didn't do it, and on the contrary, there's so many non-Jews that killed Jews, which is beyond belief and so on, you know. But ultimately speaking, the Barsham is that type of being <clears throat> that really wants, certainly, every Jew to be in the future world, really uh, mankind and so on, you know. And this is what he's doing. And therefore, he has created for that purpose so many different ways. And of course, one of the major ways, which I mentioned a long time ago, is that there's a backup system that even though you have free will, that will get you into the future world. But that works mainly through the suffering of what I've just mentioned. Incredible. Okay, so with this, we now understand uh, Perak Bey's of Ramchal, it's taken a long time to get through this, but I hope I've done it justice and summed it up, and we begin to see that if we even begin to think that we have a handle on what's going on, forget it. We have no concept of the infinite factors involved that determine the, the acts of God and the whole concept of justice and so on. Okay, any questions? All this kapara for the, he's Israel Kalayim. Yeah. To back down Ravinu. Does he, does he does this one generation? I mean, like if he comes now. What do you mean? How's he doing his own one generation? No, he does. The Jews, <coughs> no, what he does is what the Basham did is very. For every generation doing a little. <coughs> what, what the Basham did is that this individual, Mashiach Ben Yosef, you know, who else he comes back in every generation. He does come And he suffers. So if you added up all the suffering, it would be terrible, and, and, and so on. So, so it it's not... But there's no question... He could be in Sloan Kettering, suffering cancer. He could be... Some of the way you describe it, like he could be corrupt. I mean, May, May Lansky, I mean... Was, <laughs> I mean you're May Lansky, was it? How did he get into this? <laughs> yeah, to excuse me. <laughs> May Lansky. <laughs> oh. How is Moshe Bainan's physical burial place cause me at or in his Ruchnius Madrega. Why are they connected? The, the burial place where no, nobody knows, right, whatever, and so on and so forth, is an indicator, a barometer, that he also is separate from something. Just like he's separate from Israel. Mm -hmm. He's not buried with Jews. He's not buried in the Jewish cemetery. Forget about that, right? He's buried in Jordan. 
probably in Jada, right? And so on and so forth, which is uh, outside Eretz Israel. She's not part of Eretz Israel. He's not part of the Jewish people. That's a barometer, a indicator that he's not part of wherever he should have been in Oilam Habo. He's separated from God, whatever his reward should have been. And that's the barometer, that's the indicator. Mm-hmm. It's a lit, you know, and so on, yeah. His job was to bring the Jews back into Israel, and, and he's the one outside. Because he sinned. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Memoriva. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's also other reasons, you know. Because his being out, he, you understand, without his suffering, we would not survive because of the fourth idea. Klai Yisrael, can, like God said, I must, the Jews must die. They have to be annihilated. That, remember the Medrash? Now, it doesn't mean every Jew, but it means a lot of people can't make it. We don't know. Look, we're talking about thousands of years. We don't know how many Jews he's referring to or what they did and so on, right? But whatever their sins were, that's what he says. Why is he telling this to Mashiach ben Yosef? Like I said, because he needs the fourth strategy to go and save them, which means some guy's got to put his neck out and say, hey, you're the guy. And if not for these people, then whoever God meant would not survive would be gone. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the two Mashiachim, and those are the greatest of the Soivli Choyloim, the greatest. And then there are many tzaddikim, and so on over the generations that suffered terribly in order for this to happen. You see, one of them is Rabbi Akiva, the way he died. You know, his, you know the Romans killed him, terrible way, scraped his back with an iron comb and so on, you know. You know, and uh, the Malochim then said themselves, well, we, well, what is this? Zu Torah, Zu Schoro? Is this, the, this, is, this man, Rabbi Akiva, that's his reward to die like this? So God said, you know, shh, quiet, I have my reasons. But part of the idea is Rabbi Akiva was a, was a Shurish of Mashiach ben Yosef, Akiva ben Yosef. He was one of the, well, I didn't go, I think I once spoke about this. He's one of the major parts of the Neshama of Mashiach ben Yosef. And his death was an atonement that way for who knows how many Jews. Now we don't know, you know, and so on. But th- this is what has to happen, you know. It's a piecemeal anyway. strategy. The Rebbe was saying it's a piecemeal generation. Rabbi Kiva did it some. Yeah, oh yeah. Every generation. Yeah, I would just bring in, because the Meshachim and Meshachim, they're the greatest of them, you know, cause, right. and so on. But, uh, but well, it's been going on every, in every generation. So it's oh, yeah. It's, gen- so. it's not the final generation. You're going to do it all in one shot. No, no, you can't do it all in one shot. Yeah, right. It's, 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 oh, but I suspect that Meshachim ben Yosef, in the end, whoever he is, he's going to get walloped in the last. And there's a reason for that. Because he's the guy. Because in every generation, there's always a, there's what's called a shirish, a root. Every generation has a root of Mashiach ben Yosef. I don't get into the whole explanation, but, you know, and each one goes to whatever he has to go through. But the, none of them are Mashiach unless they get what's called Yechida, which is the highest level soul of Adam Harishan. Are getting into the whole thing. And that's the crown. That crown has to go on top of this guy who's the Shurish, the root. I want to give a shir about this, right? And then he's a Mashiach, right? And that person is now going to suffer in a way which is terrible, even because he is the guy. Because whatever it is, that means the Tikkun has to be complete in that generation. Therefore, the Chido will alight on this individual, and that makes him the Mashiach. And he's going to suffer terribly. In that generation. Final, the final. Yeah, the final, it's a bang. You know, it's like you go out with a bang. Literally, that's what happens that's to this guy. Well, that, that, that's, you know, that's... Is this why Mashiach was supposed to die? And yourself? No. Uh, well, no, that, that's for something else. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, it's all part of the Messianic era. I mean, the pre- precursor to the Messianic era, yeah. So every generation has potential <coughs> Mashiach Ben Correct. And Mashiach Ben yes. In every generation, there's somebody that has an Ashama that can fit the Yechid of Odom mm-hmm. There's a, what's called a, I, I once gave a shir about this, but Yosef at Sadiq is the, is, the, is the Messianic, is the uh, Messianic soul, but not Mashiach. 
and you and David Amelach or Yehuda, depending on who you want to look at, that's the block of Mashiach ben David, right? And in every generation, there is a part, there's a spark of that fire that goes off and goes into two people. So in every generation, there's somebody that can become, they are called Shrashim, roots, from the block, the Neshama of Yosef, the Neshama of Yehuda slash David. And every generation, every generation has a soul that is a Shurish, a root, that could be Mashiach, of Yosef, or and 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 what in the same generation of, of David, you see, and what that means is that uh, if that generation is worthy, let's say the Tikkun happens in that generation because they did tshuva, then the Yechid of Adamarishim, which by the way split, one part goes on Ben David, the other part goes on Ben Yosef, they become the Mashiach. If the generation is not worthy, right? then new sparks come off, parts come off that soul in the next generation, all the way till the end. Finally, in the generation that Mashiach does come, right, the same thing. There's the Shurish of David, Shurish of Yosef, right? But in that generation, the, God knows the Tikkun will be complete, right? Either because of tshuva, repentance, or suffering, right? And therefore the Yechid of Odom, of, which is the crown, and that's the the ability of the Mashiachan to see the messianic light that will descend on these two people, you see. And uh, in that generation, Mashiach Ben Yosef, he he will have the tremendous amount of suffering as a real person, not as an Ishama, as a real person, you see. And and therefore, but then that's the end, and therefore they become the Mashiachan. So every generation has to have people that potentially can be become the Mashiachim. They have to be, they're real people that are walking around and you have no idea who they but are. But they have no idea themselves. Who well, they, 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 well yeah, that, they don't know for a certain amount of time and then they do know after a while. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't know who he was. But when he was 80 years old, the Rabbi Shem talked to him with the burning bush, the sneh, right? He said, by the way, you're the guy. <laughs> You know, I got some interesting news for you. And for uh, week he said, "No, I'm not." <laughs> well, he—it's f- astounding. <laughs> I want to say he—he he fought off the Rebbeinu for what? For a week? Could you imagine? The Rebbeinu is saying, "You're the man," and, and Moshe Rabbeinu says, "No, I'm not. No, I mean, I don't want the job. You know, find somebody else for the job." Could you imagine just- saying that to Rebbeinu You know, it's astounding. You know, but I, I, th- I, the reason why I believe, it's astounding how much Abenu could say no to God. But I once said why, because anybody who's selected to be that type of individual, to be a messenger, to take the Jews out of Egypt, Moshe Abenu loved God so much that he knew he's going to miss, he's going to make a mistake, and that will get God disappointed, and therefore it wasn't worth to take this mission, to bring suffering. Kaviyochel to God Himself, a disappointment, and He did. He did make sins and several times. You know what I'm saying? So Moshe Rabbeinu probably said to himself, "Look, it's an interesting job. Don't get me wrong, you know. And uh, but I'm not going to do it because it's not worth it. Because I know it's impossible not to slip up. It's impossible. And since the one who's sending me is God, we're not talking about somebody else. I'm going to slip up, and what's going to happen? He, God, is going to be disappointed." And I love God so much, I can't tolerate the fact that I'm going to disappoint them at some level. So I don't want the job. You know? Which is interesting. And that, that you know, so on the contrary, it was the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu that, that determined that he should not take the job. Because he does not want to bring suffering, tsa, pain, to the divine, to the Rabbanish on himself. You know? And how did they get the machlokim? Mm-hmm. His brother Joseph, they sold him. Did that impede the whole process? That's the who? Yeah, what? They sold Joseph. The, the animosity oh. between these Yeah, what about that it? That impede the process? In a, did that set it back quite a while? I mean, that machlokim is with the brothers and Joseph. N- not really, because well, let's Ephraim and Jehuda. There was always competition. The Jews had to go to Egypt. Period. And that's what the Bansham said to Avraham Avinu, right? That your children will be, uh, you know, uh, aliens in the land for, what, a couple of hundred years and so on, you know? 
uh, therefore the Jews had to go to Egypt and that was it. The question is how are they going to wind up in Egypt? There are different ways they can wind up in Egypt, you know. There could have been this famine, which there was, right? And Yaakov could have said, listen, we can't survive. Let us all go to Egypt, you know. But to have this whole thing where Yosef was kidnapped, right? And he went to Egypt and so on. All this came about because whatever, Yosef spoke Lashonara and so on and so forth, you know. But, but ultimately the Jews had to go to Egypt. The question is just how? Because that's what he said to Avraham Avinu, that your Jews, the Jewish people must go to Egypt and they have to uh, 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 remove the pollution. That's why they went to Egypt. You know, it's part of a Pesach. Yeah. Because the first 2,000 years of man's history were not Jews, right? Avraham Avinu was, the world was 2,000 years when the world turned 2,000. And for 2,000 years, all mankind could do the Tikkun, which I'll talk about when I, we come back because that's the next section of Ramchal. And they didn't, and therefore they polluted the entire world. And the Jews who took over the job had to go to Egypt, right? And remove the pollution of mankind to do the job. And therefore they had to go to Egypt. But it was a anyway. thing with brothers, uh, the contention. I don't, I don't want to get, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into it, it goes on and on. How, so, yeah. how it, first of all, how are guys able to get on that I want. I want to spoke. Uh, spoke about that. That's it. They, they, even with that, they have to attach. You said they have to attach to a Jew, even with that, or something. No. The, in the end, they, they have to assist a Jew in the tikkun. What I'm asking is, did this shirimitzus and then there's assisting Jews? Are they two independent? To who? Shirimitzus Yeah. And helping Jews. Are they two independent <coughs> things, or do they have to work together? They, they seem to be two independent things. So either or. It's not clear, um, or I'm not clear, I should say that, if, uh, well, I don't want to get into it, it's the whole thing. 